Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Ross BC. He talks us through his childhood, early days at work, some of the successes and failures along the way, and what he learned, and possibly what we can learn uh, from, from that. We also talked to him about three of his projects, Pan American Silver, Equinox, and Lumina Gold, and what he hopes those businesses will achieve. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Ross, how are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Surviving. Hold up. What about you? It's a very strange world. I haven't traveled in two months now, and it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit, you go a little bit of stir-crazy, but... It's it's kind of nice where I live. I live on an island, and I you know I'm kind of self-sufficient here. So, you know we're we're suffering through it uh, as best as best we can, and it's it's not a bad lifestyle to be honest. Yeah, it's not bad. It's good for the planet. It is good for the planet. It's 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 strange to be getting with strange to be getting withdrawal symptoms about not being in an airplane. I never never thought I'd feel that. For sure. Right. <laughs> well. It, Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, slightly unusual one. So we're, we're not here to promote one single company. So we're usually grilling CEOs about their performance. So um, we're going to talk about you today. People are interested in you and where it all began. Uh-oh. So we've got some nice, gentle questions. Good. You ready? Go for it. You ready? Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. I'm intrigued. Hard talk. <laughs> we are interested in you know how people get to where they are what what sort of made them the man they are today um so i want to sort of start off and sort of understand you know where you grew up you know what what was what was life like as a kid i had a pretty good life as a kid i grew up in a kind of traditional canadian middle class family my my dad was an entrepreneur in the lumber business and uh you know i was just i was always interested in the outdoors i just loved hiking and, and camping and so I gravitated to that from an early age and, and I wanted a job at, at working in the outdoors all the time. So I became a geologist. And, uh, and then after uh, a few, uh, a few sessions at different universities, I, um, I started my first company right, right out, out of pretty much out of university. Um, and, uh, it was called BD geological and I, I ran a little contract geology company and built that up. And then I started my first public company in 1985, which was called Equinox resources. And then I've just had a whole stream of companies ever since then. My, my first company lasted nine years and I sold it to a, a big U.S. mining company and started a new one the next day. And uh, and there's just been a whole succession. I think I'm on number 15 now. So it's been a, a lot of fun and a, a lot of travel, which I love. And working with great people who have helped me build these companies. Um, I, I, I was a good geologist, but I also found I was a good salesman. So I could sell right. shares and I could sell stories and, uh, and can, you know, part people from their money. Uh, and, and by a lot of good luck, as opposed to good, you know, good management, we, we found, you know, gold mines and, and, and silver mines and we built companies. And, uh, and so they made more money than they gave me and they returned the favor. Every time I started a new company, they backed me again and again. So it was, uh, it was a, it was a happy, it's been a happy and, uh, and successful career, which I'm pretty much at the end of now. Equinox Gold will be my last company. And uh, it's been a, a great run, a great journey, and and uh, uh, a lot of, tremendous amount of fun. Right. Okay. Good summary. <laughs> this could be a very, either the shortest interview I've ever done, <laughs> or we can go back. I want to get back to your childhood. Okay. So I, I'm fascinated because I've got, I've got four kids, right? And they, they have each have different personalities. And I know 
who's probably going to do what? They've got very different uh, desires and needs and uh, personalities, right? So when you were growing up, your dad was an entrepreneur. You have had an entrepreneurial life. And so the question I'm asking is, you know, what influence did your parents have on you or your father have on you uh, when you were growing up? Did, did, or did you feel, feel it's inert in you? You were always going to be a, a salesman, as you put it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, really. You know, I have two brothers and I had a sister. She died when she died when she was young. Sorry. And uh, my dad actually died when he was young. He died in, uh, in 19... Uh, 73 I think you died when he was 55 of a car accident so uh, I didn't you know have anybody to bounce ideas off when I was in the business world I would say I just got his genes and uh, we had a pretty uh, a pretty um, lucky early life because uh, I was given a tremendous amount of freedom uh, I was always a hyperactive little shit I was I was uh, always busy running around and you know constantly arguing with people and just just you know so my mother's solution was to kick me outside and and, uh, and call me back when it came time for meals and 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 you know I've always been pretty active I'm going to say and pretty impatient and 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 selfish and and greedy and all those things that make great entrepreneurs. But I would say you know my two brothers I had two brothers they neither of them became entrepreneurs they one's a great engineer and he worked for a company through his his, his life and the other one was a printing salesman so it. it you know, the apple didn't fall far from the, the tree in my case, but in their cases, you know, they were just sort of living ordinary middle class lives. So that was that was my uh, my personality, I guess, was sufficiently different that that's where I went. And I, I would say I made a lot of my own mistakes. I, I was uh, never uh, I never had a mentor or a, or a particular guiding light when I was uh, building these companies. I just it was a school of hard knocks. And like I said, I, I made a lot of crazy mistakes and and in hindsight crazy but at the time they all seemed very clever and and luckily i there were more good decisions than bad decisions and the outcome was positive for me. okay that, that's interesting do you think your father would be proud of what you've done yeah oh yeah he will of course he would be very proud and, and of course my mother would too my mother always was uh, you know and of course mothers mothers are proud of chainsaw massacre you know, chainsaw <laughs> murders. so mothers are always proud of their children whether they're you know you know thieves rapists and murderers but 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 fathers are a little tougher, and I know he would have been proud of me for sure. It's been a great career, and I think I'm very proud of having having done it. You know, without having to lie and cheat and steal, and and some of the you know short term thinking that that certain people in this industry have followed over the you know the decades I've been involved with it, and it never usually works out very well. It's not hard to do things right. You do need luck, and I got luck, and with that luck plus working very hard and being very driven and motivated, um, it, it worked out. So the, can I, Without can I, any of those ingredients, it would have been harder. Well, I'm intrigued in, in terms of what are the, some of the parts of the man, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of people are watching this um, who will be looking for clues. They may be starting out like, you, you know, we all once did, um, looking to sort of see, you know, do they have the right characteristics and so forth. But so you're a workaholic. I think I just heard was one of the, one of the criteria there. Um, does that leave time for your fun? I didn't say that. You're not, you're not workaholic? You work hard? No. No? No, I'm not. No, no. I'm not. Especially when, uh, when we had kids. I spent a huge amount of time on, on... For me, it was always about juggling. It was always about having three balls in the air at any point in time. One ball was my business, for sure. I wanted to make sure that was healthy and thriving. 
one ball was my family. I have five kids. I have one wife. We celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary uh, uh, in 10 days. And I have me. And as long as I'm happy, my family is doing well, and my company is doing well, it works. If any one of those bulge drops, uh, it's a disaster. So I spent a certain amount of time looking after the me and me. I'm, 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 I, I really am driven to be an outdoor person. I love skiing and hiking and camping and canoeing and traveling. And I just love, you know, moving around. So I made sure there was that part of my life that I was getting a lot of personal fulfillment from. The businesses were all doing well. That required a lot of work for sure, but it tended not to include work on the weekends or in the evenings, like like a lot of true workaholics do. And um, and it was very important that we had a, a strong family. And, and we've got a strong family. We always have had. I've got a wonderful wife. And it has worked out quite well for, for everybody, I'd say, in terms of that mix. Uh, I think if you lose one of those ingredients, though, you know, everything else becomes more difficult. And so I wanted to try to make sure all those three pieces of the of the personal puzzle were were healthy and and it's 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 been a successful life fantastic because of that nice balance nice balance well let's get on and we'll deal we'll stick with the work bit now okay um what type of manager are you a very uh decentralized manager i like to work with smart people and i really give them a lot of uh, runway to do their own thing and i just try to help manage them and, and we make mutual decisions I also try to be quite hands-on, though. Uh, I try to visit all the projects and try to have a complete understanding, technical understanding of what's going on, and so I can help really inform the decisions with uh, with ex- personal experience. I, I, I've got to see things with my own eyes. I've got to touch the ground, go underground, for example, uh, look at look at opportunities uh, personally before I can really get a good sense of them. I can't do it from reading a book or a, or, a, or a report or or looking at something online. Okay, and you, you talked about mistakes that you've made along the way, and you know, I always say to people, you, you probably learn more from your mistakes than you do from the successes. So, what are the what are the what are the big moments you think, boy, I'm not going to do that again, or maybe I've now worked out what I should be doing? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, I am a quick quick study. I, I do learn quickly, um, and I, I when I realize I've made a terrible mistake, I try not to repeat it. Instead of that, I make other new mistakes. And and uh, and that's kind of what life's all about, right? It's just uh, it's a one-way street. You don't you don't really you know every time you come around a corner, there's sort of a new situation that may or may not be something that you've experienced already. And the world changes, and so you can't always apply experience you've learned you know 30 years ago to what's going on today. It's a different world. We have different uh, different markets, different investors, different different uh, ways of looking at things, different social issues, all kinds of things that are different. So. You know the one. The, you know, there's a few ingredients though that that um, that I have learned. And number one is 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 work with nice people, good people. And if you can't get along with somebody, you know, change. You've got to you've got to you've got to cut quickly. Uh, the quicker you cut, the happier you're going to be, and the happier they're going to be. Uh, another is to focus on scale. Look for big projects, big opportunities, big ideas. I, I spent three years of my life uh, <laughs> trying to permit a fifty thousand ounce uh, total resource gold deposit in California back in the late 80s and it was a uh, three wasted years it was it was ridiculous what we tried to do so those kind of things are just waste of time waste of energy uh, and um, and try to be opportunistic in other words set yourself up for, for for things that are going to happen instead of things that are happening today uh, I've done that quite frequently in my career and it's always been very successful particularly trying to look at long-term commodity price trends that will eventually drive markets um, 
I got into the, the gold business in the, in the 80s, it worked out well. I got in the silver business in the 90s, the copper business in the 2000s, I went into renewable energy. In late 2000, uh, 2008, I started a renew renewable energy company. Then I got back into gold in around 2015, 16, and that's been a, a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good run. So, you know, I try to look at what's going to happen in, in future trends as opposed to um, what's happening today. Um, the best opportunities are those that you know where you're taking advantage of weakness elsewhere or markets that just seem to have it wrong. Um, when I started a copper company in, in, in early 2000, a group of copper companies. You know, nobody wanted to know the word copper. And that was when I was buying like a drunken fool, uh, buying everything with copper in it I could find. And sure enough, copper went from an all-time low to an all-time high in, in just four or five years. And every one of those worthless copper deposits I bought became incredibly valuable. We sold them all for nearly $2 billion. So uh, it's, it's, it's stepping back, it's reading a lot, it's traveling a lot, it's looking at what's going on in the world, what's going to go on in the world, and making a prediction and then and then trying to set up a business that takes advantage of that trend, adv takes advantage of that. You know, we're, we live in very cyclical markets. Uh, you know, bull markets beget bull markets, bear markets beget bear markets. It's, it's, that's why we have these cycles. And so if you're in a bottom of a cycle, you want to be preparing for when the cycle turns and goes up. Those who prepare, who are lucky enough to have the capital to prepare themselves and, and get the assets that will do well in an up cycle, are going to benefit disproportionately. And vice versa, if you're at the top of the cycle, that's when you want to be selling. That's when you want to be turning to, to, to cash up to try to take advantage of when the cycle changes and it goes down again. These are multi-year events, but they always happen. They always will. We're in a down cycle today in many respects because of this COVID crisis. This is the time to be loading up on, on equities and, and buying things that other people have distressed and have to sell. That's just how these, these markets work. So that's worked very well for me. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's a kind of a basic thing. It sounds very easy to say. It's rather more difficult to do. It, it, it does sound easy to say, but, you know, people talk the story of being, you know, con about contrarian philosophy for investing. But when you've got money, it feels like it's slightly easier to actually deliver on that because, we saw this with you know uranium and, and and gold previously, and obviously with the dip which happened with the market reset. People who had been talking very aggressive contrarian type language were terrified to actually put place a bet. I'm talking re retail here, okay? They were terrified. They they were asking each other where they've been bullish before. They were now asking other people's advice. Should I? Should I? And I just found that kind of yeah. interesting. It was the definition of a contrarian environment, but. Yeah. The human psyche comes into it when actually being, you know, the yeah. la, you know the last pitch of the innings, you've got to place your your, your bet, and a lot of people, a lot of people didn't. I thought that was interesting. Right. It's it's very easy to say and very hard to do. And of course, you know, uh, I mean, there's different ways to do it. Of course, and there's a there's a very different world between being an investor, where you can buy and sell someone else's company anytime you want. You you aren't. By definition, a short-term investor because you can sell anytime and nothing will happen to you or the company. If you're on the other side, like I've been, which is basically a developer most of my life. I mean, I've been an investor at different times, but mostly I've been a developer of my own businesses, and I only sell once, or I don't sell at all. And and uh, when I sell once, it means I sell the whole company, and I've done that I don't know ten or eleven times uh, with different companies I've started. 
but um, you know, you, you have to hold for the long term. So you're building, you're investing in projects or you're investing in people, you're investing in ideas uh, when you start these companies from scratch. And you, you know, you try to get your timing right. And so you want to start them at the bottom and, and sell them at the top. And that's actually something I've, I've done. Uh, and and uh, you have to have a lot of courage of your convictions because there's always people who say you're an idiot. You take, you're doing the wrong thing. You're selling it out at the wrong time. There's always people who second guess you. And sometimes they're right, and sometimes you're right. But you just have to have the courage of your convictions and you have to have enough control of your business to actually make those decisions. And you've just got to do it. And so whether you're an investor or you're a company builder, you have to think long term and you have to play these cycles in our business. I'm not saying it's the same for selling uh, bread or, 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 or some other you know, service uh, to somebody. But in, in the commodity game, it is a, it is a cyclical business. And, and you can actually do very, very well if you pick the cycles right. Um, but you don't have to necessarily have a lot of money when you're in the development world like I've been. When you're starting these companies, you know, I mean, I, I've got a lot of money now and I had money starting probably, uh, well, I, after I sold my first company in Equinox, I had a bit of money. And, and, uh, and uh, but when we got our silver company going, um, you know, we didn't have a lot. We, we, we had very, uh, I would say, very uh, supportive shareholders and they financed us uh, again and again at, at good prices. And with that money, we were able to build up an asset base that was very successful, I guess, when silver prices took off, you know, after 10 years or eight years, it, it took a long time, but finally they went and boy, everybody was happy when they went. But until they went, I mean, I was completely wrong. I thought silver, when I started my silver company in 1994, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, I had the uh, I had the confidence of ignorance and uh, and I was able to, to sell the idea that silver is going to the moon. You know, it, was, it started out at $5 and 20 cents, I think, when I started Pan American in 1994. And uh, and I was saying to everybody, you know, by the end of the decade, it's going to be over $10, and everything we buy now is going to be ridiculously valuable. And uh, and of course, the predictable happened by, by 2000, at the end of the decade, um, silver was $4 an ounce. It was at an all-time low in real terms. And, uh, and, and yet, uh, we had scrubbed together a company that actually had a whole bunch of assets and uh, and after a near near death experience in in uh, 19 uh, after a near, very near death experience sorry in 2001 where we almost went bankrupt, luckily right after that the silver price took off. You know China re you know had this wonderful run of uh, the super cycle in the early 2000s and silver went from you know that four dollar price in, in 2000 in the fall or the winter of 2001 it went all the way to 48 dollars an ounce. Uh, you know six years seven years later so. Um, it was it was a glorious run. We were well positioned for the run. We had the asset base for it. Yes, we'd almost died, but we were lucky enough to just come out of that that all time low with a tremendous asset base, a lot of goodwill from shareholders, uh, a good name as being a primary silver company, one of the very few in the world. And you know, our share price went from three dollars a share to uh, nearly fifty dollars a share. You know, during that that glorious run. So it was it was a happy time. Maybe if we if it had taken another year or two, we we might have gone bankrupt, and that would have been the end of the story. But we we didn't. Yep, it's it's amazing those those moments and the, and the paths <laughs> just splits right or left. Yeah, and you know, yeah, yeah there's sure. a lot sure. a lot of very successful people who can remember that moment where it could have gone either way. Yep. A very very different story, very different outcome. Yep. Now forks in the road, you bet. Forks in the road. So 
you must appreciate the power and the value of your name being associated with a project. I know you tell me Equinox is the last hurrah, but um, you know, for the last few years, if you've been involved in a project, you've put your money in it in some capacity or other, people follow you. There's, you know, there's, there's a value to that because the, the view is there's a successful guy. If I can just get a bit of what he's yeah. got, it'll be okay, right? So do you mind if we yeah. sort of delve in and sort of see, you know, how true that is? You know, if, if, if you know, what have you done? What you are- know, it is true. I mean, there's no question that success uh, generates followers and, and people who like to get under your bandwagon. And in this business, because I'm a very public person, because all my company investments, almost all of them are public investments. And whenever I now buy something, it's not very meaningful to me unless I have a fairly big stake in it. I have a multi-million dollar stake, 10% plus. I don't care if I'm showing up as an insider or not, and many times I am. And if I am, it's it's very public. And so you got a lot of people who, who, who will buy based on my name or Lucas Lundin's name or Richard Wark's name or any of these guys who, who have been serially successful and have made a lot of money, not always, not every company, not, you know, there's been some dogs in the portfolio, but there's been more winners than losers. So there's people who do pile on. Yeah. And that's true. That's particularly true for when I have been more traditionally an investor in, in companies where I will look at a hundred companies and pick two or three to actually do a private placement in, and then trust the management to build build value. And it, again, it's, that has been more successful than unsuccessful, but I'm not doing that right now. I'm hardly doing that. I'm doing that a tiny bit. Mostly right now, 90% of my my world, my business world is actually Pan American Silver, Equinox Gold, uh, one or two little private companies that, that, that we have that aren't public, um, but that we're working on uh, quite hard. And the Lumina Group, which comprises today two companies or two and a half companies uh, within a group that has been close with me for 15 to 20 years, uh, a very, very good management team. And I'm really back in the financially versus being too active in the companies, but I do I do try to help out where I can, and I would say that's still in my orbit as a developer versus an investor where I have absolutely nothing to do with management or, or involved. Who, who, can I just ask, I mean, who are the guys in the market, apart from your own team, who you admire at the moment? I mean, when you look at you know, either CEOs or management teams or companies, who, who do you admire and go, actually, they're doing a good job? You know, one of the one of the one of the uh, realities uh, in this business that I'm in now, because I'm so much in the trenches with my own companies, I actually don't I don't really listen to other presentations. I don't mm. I mean, I know the all the guys very well, but I don't really know the fundamentals of their business. Uh, I have enormous regard for Randy Smallwood of Silver Wheaton or Wheaton Resources. He's a very smart, very lovely guy, wonderful guy. I have a tremendous amount of time for Lucas Lundin. He's a dear friend of mine, smart, driven, uh, huge amount of fun, generous, uh, competent, just great, and and, and has he has very good business sense and and works with really good people. And so his companies are are strong and they're strong for a reason. They're very well led. Um, you know, beyond that, Don Lindsay at Tech, I have enormous admiration for Don. He's a smart guy. He's a great leader. People love working with him. Core investment for me. I, I have I have a, a lot of time for, for Tech. Um, those are a few names. Amongst the juniors, uh, 
I just don't know them well enough to really comment, to be honest. I don't have a, a I mean, I know certain people in certain companies, but I don't know enough about the companies themselves to really give you a, yeah, a sense of, 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 you know, who I would back. I, I'm, I guess the, the bit I wanted to understand from you was, maybe not now, because I appreciate you've just explained where you are now, but let, let's say in the last 10, 15 years, has that track record, has that money allowed you to be a little less right or a little bit less uh, choosy um, about the project because you know that you're following your cash would make it work. How has it be, how has it made me less choosy? Um, you know, I think when you are an investor, you want to have a big win on every single investment. The more money you have really doesn't matter. A lot of money, a little money. Uh, what you what you luxuriate in when you have a lot of money is you can afford to be wrong again and again, and you're not going to really change your lifestyle a lot. And small investors simply can't do that, which is a which is a, a big difference to me. But having said that, I don't like I don't like losing money. I don't like looking stupid. I think there's a lot of ego in all of this. Don't forget, massive amount of ego. In, in everything that I do, I, I always want to be seen as being smart and right. It, it, it's, it's just an unavoidable kind of a personal uh, characteristic. Uh, Carl Icahn is the same, and you know, anybody who's a public figure who goes after companies and is, is, has, has a brand or a cachet, they always want to be right, and, and, uh, and uh, it's a very natural human, human instinct. Um, so whether I'm a developer or an investor, you could say the same thing. I'm always trying to, you know, that, you know, hit for the fence, trying to make a home run of every single thing I do. And, and most of the time you, you swing for the fence and you, you know, you might get a bunt or, a, or <laughs> you might run halfway to first and get thrown out. But, but often you do get that home run. I've had a lot of home runs in my career, a heck of a lot of them, and they feel fabulous. They, they, they always do, right? That's, that's, that's why you get out of bed in the morning. But do you think if I, someone took all your money away today and you were, you know, the, the, the young Ross Beatty, in today's environment, could you do it again? Is it a different world now compared yeah. to back then? Yeah, you could do it again. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's a definitely a different world. It's definitely a different world. But, but yes, you can do it again. I mean, all the the ingredients to success are more than anything, you know, hard work, a lot of drive, where you make the phone calls, you don't wait for the phone to ring. And, and that's true in any business, I think, in any sector. It's, it's the people who have that extra bit of drive, not necessarily any smarter than anyone, but just that drive. If I'm, if I'm looking to hire somebody, that's what I'm looking for. Somebody who's got drive, somebody who's got an interest in what they do, uh, motivation to, to work hard. And then you, you put in place the ingredients for success. In, in our business, you put in place uh, the opportunity to have lots and lots of drill holes and, and, and because when you drill, you get, usually you get bad results, but every so often you get good results and it's a statistical thing. Obviously you want to drill good projects, but, but not all of them work out. That's the nature of the business world. Uh, but, but boy, if you get a success, you know, it goes straight to the bottom line. It's real immediate capital value. And so you want to position yourself for that kind of success if you're in the exploration business. And if you're in the mining business, you want to watch two things. You want to watch, obviously, the size of the project you're in, because the bigger the project, the more valuable it's going to be for you. And you want to try to get your timing rate on the commodities. So if you start a business at the top of the cycle, uh, and the cycle 
you know, goes against you for four years, you are going to have more and more difficulty funding your dreams and, and trying to build any kind of value at all. It's just going to be a, a, it's almost a losing proposition. It's very difficult. Whereas if you're starting at the bottom and you get your, you get your direction right, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty happy time because even if, um, even if you buy something that is a marginal project or acquire or discover something that's quite marginal, at one point in time, the price rises, it, it, it has real tangible value and you can sell it, you can develop it, you can do, do all kinds of ways to, to, to realize on that. You don't see that kind of thing in other businesses. That's what makes the mining business so beautiful when things go well and so terrible when they don't. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, but a few things you said there. I think one of the phrases you probably touched on earlier was also courage. Um, you're not frightened to make a few mistakes along the way um, and the wisdom comes yeah. with time, um, for, for sure. But the other thing you said there was interesting to me is like, this is why I ask about money. Having the money allows you to do things that some companies, some management teams don't make time uh, to put in place or, or are unable to put in place because you know money can paper over cracks but it can also I say through the drill bit release potential assuming you bought at the right price so do, I mean do you look at the market and go boy there's some nice assets there they're struggling I, I, I could do something with that yeah I mean that is a difference for sure between now and when I started out I, I can certainly say that my last two large companies Equinox Gold and my renewable energy company that was called Altera Power, which we yeah. ultimately sold to a big Montreal-based company a couple of years ago. Both of those companies would not have done nearly what they did without my ability to back them financially. I was able to backstop Equinox Gold not once, not twice, but three, three times now uh, with a significant pot of cash that they needed to get kind of over that hurdle to, to, to acquire something, to, to finance a program. And with that support and, and, and my, my own, as you might have put it, my own brand, uh, other shareholders came in at the same time to provide additional capital. And we were able to get over that hurdle and build scale, not, not, not just when we started, but, but several times since. I mean, the company is only two and a half years old, so it's, it's <laughs> It's, uh, but we've done this now three or four times where I was able to put a significant amount of cash in and it really helped the story. I couldn't have done that if I was starting out with no money. Well, like I said with my first company, I had no money. I mean, my total investment in that company was $3,000. Uh, and, and then I bought more shares every time I made some money you know, in, in, in something else, I would put in and buy more shares. And then I, so eventually I, bought up, I built up a decent position in the company before we sold the company. Uh, but today it is very different in that respect. If I was starting out today, you know, you'd have to go through that struggle. Uh, but that's kind of what business is about. You start at one scale and then if you develop things and, and are lucky enough to, to capitalize on it, you start again and you try to scale up like that. And, and that's, that's very much my story. Um, you know, uh, I guess the one thread that has been consistent is I have been lucky. I have been very lucky in, in getting markets right, in, in making discoveries, uh, in, uh, in, in, in where I live and how I finance. It, it's been a, I've had a lot of luck. I'm not saying you can't get that luck or you couldn't get that luck if you started again today, but uh, because the business does reward luck. I mean, if you, and it does, it does have a lot of luck in it and, and, and a lot of people do get that luck. Uh, 
So yeah, you could start today. I, I'm sure you could. This is a long, very long answer to your simple question of could you do something, could I do something today starting out as a young geologist uh, the way I was starting out in the early 80s? Um, and, I, and I'm absolutely confident you can. In fact, I know people who are doing it. There are some young geologists out there. They're very smart, very dedicated and hardworking people, and they're making big successes out of it. So sure. So who, so who do you... However, can oh, I just right. add one thing? However. Uh, the, the one thing is this. I, I do think this is not for everyone. So not every person is just made to be an entrepreneur. Uh, thank God, because otherwise the world would spin out of control. Um, so you've, if you're going to try to get into this business, look at yourself in the mirror, ask yourself who you are, what you're good at, and if you feel you're actually not a risk taker, this is not a business for you. You shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You should be an employee because you can be a great part of someone else's team and still be incredibly rewarded and fulfilled and make lots of money out of it. But, uh, but if you're not born to be a risk taker, which is fundamentally what entrepreneurs are, uh, I mean, I love risk. I thrive on risk. I, I, I embrace every, every time I, I see a risk, I, I, just, I just want to wrap my hands around it. It's, 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 it's a weird kind of a thing, but, but a lot of people aren't like that. My wife isn't like that. She's exactly the opposite. I mean, it, it, she's a doctor. She, every, every time I sneeze, there's, you know, there's some horrible calamity that's happening to me. And, uh, and uh, so it's not for everyone is what I'm saying. And, and, uh, and if you're not an entrepreneur and you try to be, you're not going to succeed. So know who you are. I think that's, that's good advice. It's calculated, measured risk, but you're assessing multiple variables very quickly to make decisions. I, I, I like that. I think there's... I, I, I use, a, I use a, a coin. I, I flip a coin. Nice, nice. Keep it simple. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. I, I think that someone wrote a book about that. They went, through, they went through a year making decisions based on a flip of a coin. Not sure it ended too well, but um, it, it could have. Um, can I can I just ask you about Equinox, please? Because we've interviewed Christian Malau a couple of times. Really nice guy. I like the story that he painted, um, and it'd probably give you give us a good chance to sort of understand your thinking when you're putting these teams together. Because, like you said, you, you finance them not once, not twice, but three times. Um, and you've put together a bunch of companies for you know low-grade bulk uh, gold recovery. So, how did you get that team together? How's that story? How did that story come to you? And what are you trying? What are you, And it's your great. It's your last hurrah. So how's it going to finish? So I, I like gold. First of all, the commodity we're in a, a good secular bull market. And, and regardless of COVID, by the way, we you know things that are going on in the world financial uh, field and. And uh, j just generally, with the amount of money that's, that's floating around the world and, and, and being stimulated every place today, it, it's just the macro market, macro environment for gold's fabulous. And it started being fabulous in about 2015-16. So I had a couple of gold investments. Uh, of course, I have my silver company, Pan American. It's exposed to gold and silver markets pretty well, but um, I really like gold, and I and I kind of uh, I just sold in. 2017, my renewable energy business that I spent much of the last eight years working on, uh, and I kind of wanted to have a last hurrah in gold and build something uh, at scale, something that the market wanted today, um, and and that is size. The market is very different than it was 20 years ago. It, it, it really rewards scale. We have all this this uh, robot money, the ETF money, the the, the, the computer-based buying and selling and 
and so much so much of the investment it is dumb money so it, what that is rewarded by is getting is getting scale getting something with a lot of liquidity and and size and and, and leverage so uh i had a little company that was a cash shell uh i uh, good friends with richard warwick he had a gold business that was kind of just sitting out there as a one asset company called uh, newcastle or uh yeah newcastle and uh, and then Christian Malau and his team had a, a gold company with an asset in in Brazil that was kind of you know kind of not really going anywhere particularly. So we thought if we put them all together, we could uh, we could build something at scale, and that was something that made sense to me. I um, I agreed to um, to chair it and to make it my last company, and so we named it after my first company, Equinox Gold. It was named after my first company, Equinox Resources. As a kind of a way to bookend my careers with with equinoxes and uh, and gold companies, and um, we went out hard. We started the company. Uh, it went public just right at the very beginning of 2018 uh, as a three-way merger, and um, we really haven't looked back. We bought a gold mine in California and uh, an operating gold mine at the end of the at the end of 2018, which gave us one producer, a little bit of gold production that year, 25,000 ounces in 2019. Uh, a big, uh, uh, sorry, 2019, because we then opened up our uh, mine in Brazil. We had a little more gold production. We produced 200,000 ounces last year. And then at the end of the year, we acquired Leo Gold, which has now built a, a significant six mine portfolio, two development projects, one in uh, California and one in Brazil, plus the expansion of a mine in Mexico. And we're going to produce over 600,000 ounces this year, and we'll be on the road to about a million ounces sometime next year. So it's been a, just an absolutely exponential growth. And, and that's precisely what I felt was the right strategy today uh, to get leverage to gold in both operating business on an income statement and also on your balance sheet with respect to very large gold reserves and resources. I think we have something like 24 million ounces now in our reserves and resources. So it's, it's a very, very levered vehicle now that the market has, has absolutely embraced the business plan the guys are good, strong managers. The, the, mostly the uh, the um, the management team is is Christian's team, supplemented by now some some strong people from uh, the Leo Gold teams. So Equinox Gold now is a, is a is a mid tier producer going on the way to the journey towards becoming a senior producer. Uh, and there's no magic to a million ounces a year, but it does separate you. If you hit a million ounces a year, there's only 15 companies in the whole world that produce a million ounces or more. So you're in a very small club, and it's a club that investors want today. They want that size. They want that liquidity, um, the ability to go in and out with big volumes of money, and, and we now deliver that. So we're, uh, we've, we've grown very satisfactorily in the, in the last couple of years from that idea that we created back in the end of 2017. Okay, so, so lovely idea. You brought it together with your... Well, the people who surround you and your own capital, you you, you built that uh, into right. was it a, bil a billion two billion? What's it at today? I, I, I right now, uh, Canadian dollars, it's about two and a half billion US. Two, it's about one point eight billion. One point eight, right? Okay. So when we last interviewed Christian, it was one point two. Um, I'm intrigued yeah. by the team that you put in there and how you incentivize them. Because when I spoke to Christian, uh, he he said to me that the entrepreneurial spirit is in the company and by that you know you demonstrate that by saying you know they don't take big salaries but they do take you know positions themselves they use their own 
cash and they're incentivized with, you know, whether it be options or warrants or whatever is on the table to make them hit targets, to make the incentivize them to hit targets. Because as I say, not everyone's entrepreneurial and self-driven. Some people need incentives, but I like the fact that they weren't sort of taking big, you know, wages off the table. Because we've interviewed some, you know, pretty big, big companies along the way. And it just seems to be they've reached that point where they're not quite sure. They've run out of ideas as to how this thing moves to the next stage. And therefore, what does it do for the shares? Because ultimately, you know, we buy shares. We're not all sitting at your side of the table. We're sitting here investing in your companies. And we yeah. were looking to make money on shares. So I, I liked that and it continues to grow. But, you know, where, where does it stop? You know, what, what's the end game here? Are you going to be taken out or is this thing just throwing off cash and you're throwing, out, throwing back dividends? Yeah. Right. So in my case, uh, the outcome for, for Equinox is really the same as that for Pan American Silver, which I started 25 years ago or 26 years ago now. Um, really, the, the plan is to build a world-class uh, gold mining company um, that will become simply a world name, a, a, a brand in its own right, in the world that will last a long, long time uh, and not be something that someone else buys or, or offer for sale. Um, a company that will outlive me, that uh, I will probably pass my shares on to my, my kids or simply uh, put them into uh, the foundation that I have, the Nature Foundation or Environmental Foundation that I have that will be where most of my money goes um, when I when I kick the bucket, if not sooner. I mean, I have no particular need for money. I have a great lifestyle. I don't I don't do any of this to to, to earn money to spend. I, I just do it for the fun of making making money and creating wealth for, for, for me and for other people. But once you've, you've, you've made it, the, I also have a lot of fun giving it away. So I've given a huge amount of money away and I will continue to do that. It's, it's, great, it's great fun doing that as well. Uh, so for Equinox, there's no, there's no plan to sell. Um, for some of the other companies like Lumina Gold, for example, it's 100% the business plan to sell that company. It's an exploration company. It's not a producing company. And the idea there is to sell it to, to uh, a big developer, a big gold producer. Um, the same way as I've sold so many other companies in my career. Yeah, no, we've, we've got Marshall coming on in a couple of weeks and we've interviewed him last year a couple of times as well. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's like 1.2 billion bucks worth of CapEx required for that. Uh, you're not, you've no interest in funding that, I presume. No. None. <laughs> in and out. Okay. Different plan, different business plan. Different business plan. Okay. Tell me a little bit about Pan American because, uh, you know, you've, you've delivered, you've given, what, 450 million bucks back in dividends over its time. It's throwing off cash. It's a huge silver producer. Um, is it just more of the same? Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, it's, it's, it's more of the same. Um, it's a much bigger company now than it was a few years ago because we combined with Tahoe Resources uh, beginning of last year. So not only does Pan American produce, you know, it's the second largest primary silver mining company in the world, but it also produces a lot of gold. It'll produce almost 600,000 ounces this year. So it's a very leveraged company to gold as well as silver. And it's got, you know, an impeccable balance sheet, great cash flow, multiple assets in, in multiple countries. So just a, a really good diversified major company in the, in the silver business as well as the gold business. That's that's uh, I hope going to last a long time. Those companies are hard to build, but once you build them, they're they're actually uh, they kind of run on on themselves. The thing about all these companies, though, don't forget all these operating companies, the mining business. The reason there's a market for these junior companies, the exploration companies that have good assets that are that are setting themselves up to be sold, 
the reason there's always a market for those companies is because major companies eat their future every single day, right? Their reserves deplete. And unless they replace the reserves through their own discoveries or by buying other companies, they go out of business. The whole business plan dies unless they sustain their production by acquiring other companies that have good discoveries that will allow them to sustain their production for many years or they discover it themselves. And major companies aren't very good at discovery mines themselves. So therefore they generally go out and buy them from juniors. And that's where there's always this great market for the junior companies that are successful. They're going to be bought. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so Pan American Silver probably would like Equinox Gold. They got to a certain point where they're not making their own discoveries quickly enough to support their depletion of reserves from mining and they have to go out and look for other companies. And that's that's probably going to be what, what these companies are going to do for, for a long time. It's a very tough, very competitive environment, which doesn't make things any cheaper. But if you can find a niche, if you can find your position in this, you, you, I guess you're saying you can, you, can, you can do it with the right drive, ambition. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And, and, and yet companies do make mistakes. They buy, uh, they buy companies that are, that, are, that are dogs, you know, or they go and build a mine that turns out to be a dog. I mean, there's a lot. This is a very risky business. And even the people in the business like me, we often make terrible mistakes. We buy the wrong thing or we'll buy it. We'll buy it. We bought it. Pan American bought a company in Argentina that had the biggest silver resource, you know, in the world. It was a fabulous deposit in the middle of a perfectly good place to mine, in the middle of a kind of a windswept uh, no man's land in the middle of Argentina, Pampas in, in southern Argentina. And, uh, you know, it had every technical reason in the world to be a really great place to build a mine. There's no, there was no biodiversity loss, no, no environmental issues, not all, no people, no nothing. And yet, uh, weirdly and very terrible luck, the, the province was a place where another company had made a discovery of a really rich coal deposit in a ski resort. And the people in the ski resort went bananas and they, they banned mining and they made it, they, they threw out the baby with the bathwater and they banned mining in the entire province. So they banned mining there and in our area. Well, I couldn't figure any reason that that would persist because it was so illogical to me. It made absolutely no technical or environmental sense. So I thought, well, let's go and buy this company that's got this great deposit there. Well, you know, the deposit's perfect for us. And, uh, and, and at some point they're gonna change the law and allow open pit mining. Well, it's now been, I think it's now been, uh, it's now been uh, 10 years, 10 or 11 years that we've owned that deposit. And I still have that kind of blind optimism that they're going to change the law. But so far they haven't, and maybe they never will. So if they never do, that will have been a really, really dumb thing to buy. Uh, but you've got to take risk, and you've got to, you've got to you know, swing that bat and, uh, and try to, you know, if, if it is permitted, it's going to be a home run. If it's not, it's going to be a strikeout. So there's your, there's your, uh, that's your risk and reward ratio when you make all these decisions on these companies. Um, and so I can say that from personal experience. I mean, did you? I mean, that nearly happened with Tahoe, didn't it? There was nearly a sort of sticky moment there. I mean, it, it was idle for a, yep. well over a year. I mean, that must have been tough going. Well, it still is. It still is idle. I mean, we bought Tahoe uh, in 2017, right at the bottom of the gold, kind of the, there was a, a lull in the gold price. The, the Tahoe price had been crushed because its main asset was, was put out of operation by the, uh, a constitutional court in, uh, in, uh, in Guatemala. And we came along and said, okay, well, the, the value of the purchase is based on their other assets. We'll, 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 and that's been, for us, it's been almost a home run. I mean, the timing was just beautiful and the assets are good. 
and we get the gold, we get the silver asset in Guatemala for free. And if we have it, if we have it restored to operation, then we're going to make a payment to the Tahoe shareholders. But if we don't, we don't pay for it. And so it was a very well structured deal. Uh, but to, to be honest, to this day, it's not running yet. We need to get social license in Guatemala. We're working very hard to get it. And, uh, and we may get it and we may not get it. It's just the way it is. We're pretty sure we will because, again, it makes it, it's, it's a resource that is very high grade, very, very uh, low cost mining. The mine's built. The t everything's there. It's a tiny footprint. It doesn't cause any real issues with anybody. It generates a massive amount of wealth for the Guatemalan economy. You know, there's no real logical reason in the world that that mine shouldn't be running again, creating wealth for the Guatemalan people and for Pan American. But uh, so far, it's not running. That's all I can say. <laughs> sometimes you win and sometimes you just got to wait to win. Um, can I talk to you about, so we've got this big European, Asian uh, audience, um, you know, Canada is, you know, obviously the North American market is, is huge, but can you give me your view on things like naked shorting, the, you know, the, the uptake rule, etc., and any other things that you, the quirks of the Canadian TSX, TSXV exchange, do you think that those things are being properly regulated? Do you think that those things are being looked at properly? And do you think they're an inhibitor for people coming from outside of Canada to invest in Canadian companies? You know, um, I really don't have a dog in that fight. I, I don't. I, I don't really. I, I'm happy with things as they are. I don't. I don't make a fuss about this kind of stuff. I, there's way too many things going on in the business that are far more important, that require time and energy and money and and focus, than to worry about this kind of stuff. I I, I really have absolutely no opinion on it. Okay. Yeah, I can take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to me. But I guess it doesn't affect your, your type of business. No, it's just interesting to me. We've got some yeah. pretty big names here, yeah. you know, sit at opposite sides of the table on the topic. Wondered if you had a view. No, no. And don't forget, again, I'm not really an investor. And even if I was an investor, I've never been an unfriendly, hostile investor. And I just don't engage in that kind of thing. Life's too short. Um, there's so many easy ways to make money in this business, really, if you get things right. Uh, Investing good people invest in nice looking projects that I've got a bit of an in on understanding how, what, what they look like because I'm a geologist and I can read the, read the news releases pretty competently. And I've been to so many places, I, I, I kind of have a pretty good feel for countries and, and all the risk envelope around those, those, uh, those things. Um, so I, I focus on those things. I don't worry about all the other stuff. Okay. One, la last one um, for you um, is really advice to retail family office uh, investors around the ratio between gold and silver. I'm not a big silver guy. Gold, I understand. Uranium, I understand. But silver, not so much. It's always been, a, to me, a very volatile commodity. But people talk about the ratio between silver and, and gold and the relationship between silver and gold. What's your view on where silver has got, or can go? Right. I, I think the silver-gold ratio you know, it's only a statistic that has meant something because it's been relatively consistent around 55 to 1 for, for quite a few years, for several decades, I'd say, or a couple of decades. Inherently, it means nothing. You know, every commodity is different. Uh, the one thing that's consistent between silver and gold is that they're both precious metals. They've always been used as money. 
for many, many centuries. They both have ingredients that make them a store of value for a lot of people who want a store of value. Uh, how silver differs from gold, of course, is it's also an industrial metal. And so it's increasingly industrial as it's used in more things than any other metal in the metal spectrum. Silver has more uses than any other metal. And I could go on for hours about what all these uses are. We use it in every single thing in daily life. Every time you pick up a computer, a calculator, a, uh, or electronic calculator, or a cell phone, you use silver. It's used in mirrors, it's used in um, brazing alloys, it's used in, um, in, in everything digital. Of course, it's a beauty adornment, it's, it's, it's jewelry, it's silverware, it's, it's, it's money, it's got all these different uses. Uh, it's, it's largest use today, you probably don't know this, it's largest single use is as in photovoltaic cells. It's, it's 100 million ounces nearly that is used now in photovoltaic cells, out of a billion ounces total demand. So uh, it's, it's got all these uses and, it's, and, and therefore you've got to look to industrial markets to understand that part of the silver equation. And quite frankly, in the last year and a half or two years, industrial metals have all gone down in price because China has changed from being an infrastructure economy to a, to a services economy and a consumer goods economy, and that uses less metals. Um, it, 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 with this COVID crisis, of course, all metals have, have come down with, with decreased industrial demand. Uh, silver is in the middle between a classic industrial metal like, say, zinc, and gold because it's got elements of both. So if gold does well, industrial metals do poorly, you're going to see that gold-silver ratio increase because gold will do well and silver won't. Silver's in the middle somewhere. By the same token, if we reinflate this fall, if the markets come back to some kind of a strong economy based on all of this crazy amount of stimulus that's going on everywhere in the world that juices demand for industrial metals, all driven by pouring money into infrastructure projects and whatnot. If it juices demand for industrial metals and gold does well, you could see a perfect storm for silver. You could see silver benefiting both as an industrial metal and as a precious metal and actually outperform gold. Well, if it does that, that gold-silver ratio is going to go down and it'll recover to something less than 100, maybe 80, 90, who knows what. But, you know, you've got to look at both of those markets to understand silver. Uh, and I think silver has potentially fabulous outcome this fall or this next year, uh, if in fact uh, the silver demand is is increased in industrial industrial production, as well as gold doing well, uh, and silver coming along the the the, the, the coattails of, of gold. Um, and if that happens, you know, obviously the silver gold ratio will will change significantly. Uh, it's strong where it is. It's it's the gold silver ratio is high right now because gold is outperforming silver gold is outperforming industrial metals that's 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 why it is in a nutshell you're, you're precious metals guy so i guess you don't really may not have an opinion on the next thing either but all this wave of nationalism and trade wars and national security which is affecting a lot of other commodities you know especially around the the ev thematic and even uranium i guess um do you have an opinion as to you know, is this going to, because we talked about cycles earlier, and obviously things, they, they ebb and they flow, but yeah. what's your take on, on it? On, on uh, economic nationalism, you mean? Yeah. On, 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 on trade, yeah, trade barriers and, and, and tariffs and so on. Yeah, it, it's, I would say, uh, the more the world goes to a protectionist state, and of course, we're really just looking at one country that's doing that, right? Really. Uh, 
the more they go productions in the U.S., uh, that will decrease demand. It will have a negative effect on, on, on global markets, I would say for sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, I was going to say. It's, it's, it's basically economics, that if you put up trade walls, you decrease demand. And actually, you make countries' economies worse. It, it's, it's, it's been tried so many times in the last 50 years, or 100 years, really. Um, it, it's, it has a logical outcome. Costs go up, demand goes down. Or prices go up, demand goes down. And, and things are used less. Uh, it, it will have a negative effect, and, and I don't think it'll persist. Uh, it's not smart economics. It's smart, not smart policy. It's maybe good politics for a while, but it'll fall apart. It's also good TV, right? It's good TV, yeah. It plays to, his, it plays to that guy's base, as ignorant as it is. There you go. That is a fantastic place to finish this uh, conversation. Ross, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and uh, learned a few things there. So do, do appreciate you taking time out of your day for us. Um, and I'm going to let you get back to your family. And uh, Thank you very much. Whatever else you've got lined up for today. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.